Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. How much do you know about the end times? Are you an eschatology expert? We're continuing our study of Matthew 24, what is often called the Olivet Discourse, and this is a theology minefield. My own experience has been that Christians, for the most part, fall into two categories when it comes to studying this passage. Some know that this is a confusing section and that there's a whole lot of debate, and so they tune out and they have the attitude, uh, wake me up when it's over. The other group are those who, at least if they were being forthright, would answer my earlier question with a resounding yes. They see themselves as eschatology experts. They have their charts all made out with precision, and they're ready to pounce on any exposition of the passage that deviates from their model. Now, each one of these has something right, and each one has something wrong. On the one hand, there is a record of the teaching of the Lord Jesus uh, immediately before his death about what's going to happen. Evidently, he thought this whole subject was a good use of his precious time. On the other hand, the passage in front of us uh, itself will warn the self-proclaimed eschatology expert uh, regarding the limitations of human knowledge. Moreover, the thrust of all this material is to warn the readers to be prepared. And and being prepared is not so much about filling in the blanks correctly on our end times chart. Instead, being prepared is about living for Christ, having our conduct correspond to his teachings, so that when the judgment does take place, we will be rewarded and not punished. So in a sense, eschatology is important and unimportant. Keep your eye out for these themes as I read our text, starting in verse 32. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and the other one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. 
Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have seen from our previous studies that uh, there is material in Matthew 24 which is most easily understood as referring to events still future to our perspective. The coming of the Son of Man, being seen by all, and with the gathering of the elect from the four corners of the earth is future. However, there are some events described in Matthew 24 that, from the perspective of Matthew's readers, uh, right around the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, would have loudly resonated with material that was, for them, roughly contemporaneous. So, uh, parts of it are future and parts of it are past. And yet, as we discussed previously, some of the past bits do not have to be strictly or exclusively past. Uh, There is a well-documented phenomenon in biblical prophecy of events having multiple fulfillments. The example of the abomination of desolation is particularly relevant here. So, this is the way I see it. Uh, The disciples asked about when the temple would be destroyed and the sign of Jesus' coming. He has answered both in this discourse, as well as given a description of not only the sign of Jesus' coming, but also the actual event itself when Jesus returns. In the illustration of the fig tree, uh, the branch becoming tender and putting out its leaves corresponds to the events leading up to Jesus' coming, that is, the signs. The summer itself then corresponds to Jesus' return. The events in the first category predate, that is, they lead up to and indicate the nearness of the event in the second group. One major question in interpretation concerns the expression, all these things. When Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, what did he mean? The way that I see it, the million-dollar observation is that the same expression occurs just prior. Verse 33 concludes the fig tree illustration. Jesus says, when you see all these things, uh, you know that he or it is near. All these things correspond to the branch being tender and giving its leaves. That is, uh, the material in the first category, the anticipatory signs. Even though the expression has the word all, the event in the second category, that is, the second advent, is obviously excluded. Jesus doesn't mean to say that when you see the Son of Man has come, then know that he is near. That wouldn't make any sense. No, all these things includes the anticipatory events which, I've argued earlier, has multiple fulfillments and is a general description of the times of this current evil age. So, when Jesus says in the very next sentence, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, it is unlikely that the expression all these things means something different. All these things are the anticipatory signs. After reassuring his listeners about the certainty of his words, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my words, He says in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Notice the contrast here. All these things, that is the anticipatory signs, will happen within this generation. But no one knows that day and hour. He's pointing to something. That day and hour. Well, to what is he pointing? 
Well, the text goes on to illustrate with Noah and the two working and the slave. Each one finishes with something like, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Your Lord is coming, the coming of the Son of Man. He's pointing to what I called earlier a category two, the actual coming itself. The idea then is that uh, these other events show that the second event is near, at the very gates. And yet we can never really know when uh, the Lord will come back. This is illustrated by people carrying on normal activities until an act of judgment comes unexpectedly. In other places, the behavior of those in Noah's day is described as heinous and wicked. However, that's not the concern here. Here in Matthew 24, the symbolic significance is not in their immoral behavior. He doesn't describe them as sinning. Instead, he describes them as eating and drinking, even marrying and giving in marriage. Good things, but kind of life-as-usual things. This idea reoccurs with the men in the field and the women at the millstone. Now, some are eager to know if, if being taken refers to salvation or judgment, attempting to situate this within uh, the doctrine of a pre-tribulational rapture. From the perspective of the exegesis of Matthew, there's not enough to indicate uh, that Matthew 24 teaches this. Uh, support would have to come from elsewhere. Nor is there enough evidence to know if Jesus here means take away to salvation or judgment. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus describes the wicked being taken away, being cast into darkness, gathered into the barn to be burned, etc. However, the Greek word for left more easily has a negative connotation, kind of like left behind, whereas the word for take is, is receive, and that would more naturally have a positive connotation. Receiving into judgment would be a bit unexpected. But the point of the passage is not to focus on where they are taken. The point is to underscore the ignorance everyone has, and then, bam, unexpectedly, the sun comes. And without warning, some receive judgment and others salvation. Uh, the ignorance motif is so strong that Matthew, probably following Mark, even includes this shocking statement about the sun not knowing. Uh, Davies and Allison, the great commentators, briefly record some of the fascinating history of interpretation of this text. Uh, they write, quote, Although Irenaeus could take our saying at face value, older Christian theology often struggled with Jesus' declaration of ignorance. Luke omitted the saying, as did certain copyists of Matthew and Mark. Oregon uh, wondered whether Jesus was referring to the church, of which he is the head. Uh, Philoxenus asserted that Jesus became one with the Father in wisdom and authority only after his ascension. Ambrose attributed nor the Son to an Arian interpolation. Athanasius suggested that Jesus only feigned ignorance. The Cappadocians thought that the Son did not know the date on his own, but only through the Father. Uh, Chrysostom, in a prize example of bad exegesis, simply denied that Jesus was ignorant of anything. Neither is the Son ignorant of the day, but is even in full certainty thereof. So too, Cassiodorus, citing John 21.17, and contending that nor the Son means that the Son did not make others know. But modern Christian theology, emphasizing with the creeds that Jesus was truly man, has come to terms with our saying as an expression of the kenosis, end quote. 
And in other words, uh, if you kind of tuned out there, the the idea is that church history has a really wide array of how to interpret the saying that the Son does not know. But the best explanation is simply that Jesus doesn't know things because he fully took on a human experience, all the while continuing and never stopping to be fully God. So however one works this out in Christology, that is, however we understand the hypostatic union, uh, the way the two natures of Christ interact with, within the one person of Jesus, the result is that we still have a powerful, bold statement that Jesus is here saying he himself doesn't know. The application is, of course, that we are entirely out of line if we say that we do know. The difficulty of this saying shouldn't distract us from the high Christology that's still here. Jesus' words have a crescendo effect. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the sun. Angels were often seen as privy to divine counsel, the messengers of divine will. Jesus is saying, not even these spiritual beings, who, like in so many apocalypses, are the mediators of supernatural insight, not even they know. But then Jesus says that the Son is in a more privileged place than the circle of angelic counsel. Not even the Son knows. So if that's the case, all sort of watching the news to see what's happening with Israel so as to deduce the time frame of the second council is hubris itself. It could be this year. It could be in another thousand years. We don't know. But although we cannot say it is within a year, we absolutely must affirm that it could be sometime this year. And that is actually all that we really need to know. Jesus does not here satisfy our curiosity, but he does give us enough to know for the warning to work. In fact, the logic of the parable at the end of chapter 24 depends on this. It is only when the wise servant changes his thinking and starts to think within himself, my master is delayed, that he becomes irresponsible in his behavior. Jesus' point then is that bad eschatology, not so much if one is pre-trib or post-trib or amill or pre-mill or one of the many subsets of the plethora of views out there today, but if one has bad eschatology, as in one says, my master delays his coming, that is, I have time to burn, the way that I live isn't important, that is the eschatology error that one simply cannot get wrong. Jesus warns that if we make that mistake, even if we at one time had been doing well, if we fail to endure, there will be eternal regret, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.